0: Inside the Post-Dispatch. Hi, Liz. Hey, Beth. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. I'm excited for fall weather.
1: I am too, although as a September birthday, can I just say that the need to make September, October uh, really stresses me out. I want to still have my last, you know, few weeks of summer And I enjoy the transition. Mm -hmm. So while uh, my sister's house currently is already fully like pumpkin Halloweened out. Yeah. um, I'm waiting until at least the last week of September. I guess I'm kind of like a Halloween Grinch in this way.
0: This is why I just don't decorate for holidays. Oh, really? Yeah, I, okay. I take a pass I envy on it completely. this
1: restraint because my basement is just all uh, you know meticulously labeled tubs of holiday <laughs> direct decorations. And yes, I do have one for Valentine's Day. That's how much that's oh, how that's bad adorable. the sickness is. yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean I, I hold nothing against people who decorate um, for holidays. It's a great thing to do. It's just not something that I do. I guess I'm uber lazy in that way. No,
1: I envy that. The money and time and also just, like, mental energy saved... has to be significant my best pro tip as um and here's true laziness mm-hmm. yeah is transitioning from halloween to thanksgiving i just turn the jack-o'-lanterns around on my mantle oh, so you can't see the scary genius. face
0: <laughs> and if you have any ghosts up you just take those down yeah yeah perfect or not you know i mean i don't know we are joined today by janelle o'day uh wow that rhymed a little bit more than i thought it would when i started that <laughs> sentence <laughs> Janelle and I are two of the only people in the newsroom with apostrophes in our last names.
2: It's true. It's true. We are very fortunate in that way. We are so
0: fortunate in that way. And it's a little unusual because the apostrophe in the last name often breaks a lot of things like spreadsheets and databases, which is literally Janelle's job. (laughs) Janelle's the data reporter for the Post-Dispatch. She's been here since 2017. Um... A lot of people might think that, you know, reporting on any story would include data. So Janelle, could you explain a little bit about what the data reporter actually does and how that's different maybe than a typical beat reporter?
2: Yeah, for sure. So first of all, um, thanks for having me. Super happy to be here. Um, And yeah, actually, I have been here since 2017. In 10 days, it'll be my five-year anniversary here. So um, this is the fifth version of this database I've worked on um, that we're going to talk about today. Uh, My job is pretty much... To help the public understand data make data searchable um, and easy to understand for for all of our our audience and our readers Um, I don't want to get too technical um, but oftentimes we have to do a lot of sort of I guess I'd call it prep work to the data before you guys see it in stories or um, on our website in our searchable databases so it's it's making it understandable it's formatting it Um, Another part of my job is not just helping you guys, you readers, understand it, but also spotting trends in data, stories in data, um, like the one that we wrote that came out with the database this year about how much overtime St. Louis County Health Department workers, um, employees worked during the pandemic. Um, So spotting stories like that in spreadsheets and in data is also part of my job here.
0: And you mentioned exactly what we wanted to talk about. We brought you in to talk about the salary database and that entire project because it is a huge project. It's one that you work on, I think, almost all year, basically every year. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about the database, what it is and what readers can find in it?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, Like I said, my fifth version of it this year, it is a project that takes a lot of work. It takes me, took me. Nine months last year, and nine months this year, um, for a variety of reasons. Literally, like a baby. Honestly, that's how <laughs> it feels to me. It is. I do call it my baby in conversations with friends and stuff. Um, so you know what it's there for is pretty much to help people see exactly how their governments are structured, how they work, um, how much people are being paid to do the jobs that they were either hired, elected, appointed to do. Um, you know, so it's, the goal of the project is really just to provide people with basic information about their governments and their public servants. That's great. Well, and you, you walked us through
1: that nine month process, but, um, and not to be a total nerd about this, uh, but walk us through a little bit for someone maybe unfamiliar with the database, why it takes this long and what the end result is providing to our readers and listeners.
2: Sure. Um, So the nine months comes from doing a Sunshine or Freedom of Information Act request with each agency that you see in the database. So every single one of these 200 requires a separate email or a separate phone call or oftentimes both to get the records. Um, The Sunshine Law is what exists in Missouri. The Freedom of Information Act is what exists in Illinois. As you see in the database, we have agencies from both. So we have to follow both of those laws. Um, In those laws, you submit a request to the the agency for what information you want. They have a certain number of days that they have to respond to you by. In that response, they have to either send you the records or a date when the records will be ready. Um, And that's often where a lot of this time comes in is, is... Agencies need time to format the records and get them in the shape that we asked for them in, you know We ask for a spreadsheet with certain columns in it and a lot of the agencies majority of the agencies in fact have been Wonderful about getting the data that we need in the format that we need to us in a reasonable amount of time Um, But sometimes it takes agencies a long time. Sometimes agencies are going through payroll system changes. We had a couple of those this year Um, And so it it really draws out that process. Also, sometimes we have to pay for the staff time that is spent on those records. And so um, that's an entire process that has to go through um, the company, you know, and um, we send it through our expense system. And so that can take a few weeks as well um, to get the payment to them. Um, But once they get paid, then they send us the records, we get them formatted. That also takes some time. Once we get the records here, we have to uh, essentially clean them up to Make sure that they look nice enough um, and so that you can search them on the website easily. Um, And so all of that work takes months um, and is what takes, yeah, nine months, the better part of a year um, (laughs) to put this together. Uh, When I think about it at all, I I summarize it like that. It sounds very simple, but there are so many different things that can happen in between all those steps that can hold us up. So
0: Um, from a structural standpoint, is this all in one database and how many lines is that database?
2: Yeah. Um, so it is all in one database. Um, there's, you know, a series of tables that go into the database essentially, and those are all structured different ways. Um, you know, we basically have a table that's for all the employees. We have a table that's for all the agencies. Um, we have a few other tables as well. Um, and so, you know, those are relational, they're linked together so Mm -hmm. that, um, we're able to display the information the way that we are on the website. I can't say how big it is. I, I can't, I don't remember exactly how big it is, um, on our SQL server, but I know that there are hundreds of lines of code that we've written in right. Python to get that data formatted and submitted into the SQL database. And you work with Josh Renat on that project. Yeah, Josh, um, I couldn't do this project without him, honestly, because for so many reasons, um, he just makes sure that everything, he's got an eye, eye for detail that I have never seen in anyone else, um, and that is essential in a project like this. He makes sure everything you know, works the way it should and loads quickly online, looks the way it should, looks nice. Um, he's also incredible, he's an incredible journalist behind the scenes, you know, so he'll ask me questions about the data and, oh, did you make sure you asked about this? Did you make sure you, did you spot this in the data? Um, let's make sure we clean this up. Let's make sure we get these acronyms, you know, what Mm -hmm. they actually mean for people. (laughs) So he'll spot all those kinds of little things. Um, and also just will listen to me when I'm really frustrated, um, (laughs) with all these different records requests and trying to manage it. Um, so yeah, without Josh, it would be like impossible, legitimately impossible to do this project. Um, and, um, yeah. And one of the things,
0: I'm sorry, Liz, I feel like I'm monopolizing the questions but one of the things that you did differently this year is you took a look at like overtime for example and brought that in and that was actually a question that we got from a reader um how do you account for you know overtime the performance bonuses other contingency funds and when you look at the compensation
2: yeah so i'm really glad you asked that because that is a new thing um this year and it actually i think is part of the reason we're waiting still waiting for some data um from some agencies I think some of them were confused because in prior years we asked for only salary. And in this year we asked for gross pay, which is salary overtime, any educational pay, mm-hmm. you know, travel money of any type, clothing reimbursements, like some people get cars, any of that stuff, right? Any, um, vacation and sick time that they, people were able to sell back. We saw a decent number of that, um, a decent bit of that in the records we got this year. Um, so how do we account for it? I mean, the decision we made when we did the database this year, a lot of these agencies structured their, you know, their pay files were sent to us in a different way. So some had overtime, some had educational pay, some had, you know, cars, like I said, or vacation and sick time to sell back. They didn't all have the same stuff, though. So that's why we decided to just display one number for people on the website, on the on the salaries app. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's everything added together. Um And we do, you know, we had some agencies that were able to separate it out. We basically got to the point where we said, if you can separate it out and it's not too much work for you, do that. If it's a lot of work and it's going to take you a lot of time, don't, you know, just give us the total number. So it was kind of dependent on, you know, um, how quickly they could do it, how easy it was for them to do it. We try, really try to work with agencies um, to not, you know, give them a ton of work um, when we're doing this, this project. So, um, that we thought that was important because salary is one number, and it can it can say a lot about how much someone makes, but um, you know, there's all, often a lot of overtime for certain positions, um, and other pay is important to consider too, when thinking about compensation. I think people really want to see how much their government officials are compensated in total, you know, not just whatever salary is shows up in the budget. Right. So,
0: right. I know for, for example, the Mizzou football coach, what he gets paid on paper in his base contract is one thing, but what he gets paid in bonuses and uh, perks and things like that is a very different number.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, So it's stuff like that, that, uh, that made us want to get the gross pay. And also, you know, we know that some of our public servants, like our police officers here in the city work a lot of overtime um, and I think that it's important to put that out there for a lot of reasons. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, we've talked about the process, how long it takes, how you get these records and then clean them up so that readers um, can easily digest them. But we haven't really gotten into the specifics of the types of agencies, organizations that are featured um, and the types of jobs, uh, careers that are featured within the database. So walk us through the different kind of, for lack of a better word, sections or buckets that we have and then within those maybe some of the more recognizable careers that people can search
0: through but here's here's a dilemma you can't use the word government entity <laughs>
2: a phrase, try, government entity. i will try my best <laughs> the clock starts will, now try my best okay what's, well first what's my prize if i win this no i'm just kidding um so, yeah, we have, I want to say, six different buckets this year. I know schools is one, municipalities is one, um, and this year we added all of the munis- municipalities in St. Louis County, which I'm really proud of because that was a lot. Yeah. Um, and also I think people were really curious about it. I was really curious about it. So schools, municipalities, Um, we have like museum districts and libraries so that's like st louis zoo the st louis science center um st louis public library the county library um and then we also have states um and counties and i can't remember our other two um metro actually let me just pull it up here i think There's the
0: one that I have to almost have to say the phrase that I told you not to say, but groups (laughs) such as, oh, there we go, Metro and um, I believe it's an economic. Oh, you just pulled it up. I just pulled it
2: up. Yes, here, let me save us. The Um, magic of smartphones. (laughs) Yeah, isn't it great? So we have states and counties, municipalities, universities, schools, museums and libraries, and regional and development. There we go. So for regional and development, that's by state Development, St. Louis Development Corporation, uh, Metropolitan St. Louis Sewer District. Um, I think that one's probably the most vague. And then museums and libraries, we covered schools Is all of your St. Louis area school districts. Public school districts. Public school districts. Thank you. And we also added charter schools this year um, in the St. Louis area. I should note here, we get this question every year. We did use to display statewide educator salaries at all school districts in the state of Missouri. But multiple years in a row, we had issues with the data that we were getting from the state for statewide educators, so we stopped using that data and started just requesting it from St. Louis area districts um, and decided to just limit our query to those. Um, I do want to say in the future, we plan to always keep going back to the state and reviewing their data and, and requesting it and looking at it to see if that's a possibility that we could um, do the state again. So it's just a, a note I wanted to make on schools, a question we get every year. It's a really good question. Um, yeah, the next category is universities. And that's, um, you know, those are include the University of Illinois and Mizzou, but also include um, St. Louis Community College and St. Charles Community College. Mm-hmm. Um, municipalities, St. Louis, as well as all the munis in the county, and then states and counties, state of Illinois, state of Missouri, um, and several of the surrounding, um, counties in the area that are, uh, big population wise, so. Yeah, so a lot would a lot. be the, the short answer. Yeah, yeah, a lot.
1: <laughs> I didn't hear you say, uh, what was it, government uh, entities <laughs> entities. once. Yeah. So okay. good job.
2: Cool. Sweet. <laughs> yeah,
1: you won. Uh, Janelle, so how many years have you been working on this? You mentioned this is your fifth uh, quote unquote baby. So I'm going to guess five years. Uh, but correct me if I'm wrong. And then also, how has it kind of evolved? You just mentioned one example being that you've you know transitioned from data for schools from the state. To local districts. Um, are there other examples of how you've evolved the, the database and how you build it over the years?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, fifth version. Um, I'm really proud of it because when I arrived in 2017, my first version working on it was the 2018 version. Um, it was about 40 agencies at that time. There are more than 180 Wow. In the database now, this year. Um, and like I said, that does include all the St. Louis County municipalities, which are in addition this year. It also includes the charter schools, which are in addition this year. Um, we added, sorry, oh, you're fine. Sorry, big breath. We added a um, significant number over the years as well, just sort of as people have requested them. Um, I'm, I'm proud of that too, because I think that It's important as journalists, we listen to our community, we stay in touch with our community, and so I want you guys to know every time you suggest an agency to us, we make note of it, I write it down, I put it in our tracking system for the database, and Josh and I discuss it, and if it's a possibility to add it next year. With this year's being more than 180 agencies, I think we're probably getting to a point where we're going to have to be careful about adding stuff because of the resources and the staff that we have here. Um, You know, We have to work within those bounds, Um, but always send us suggestions because uh, we've already gotten a couple of great suggestions this year. And um, I'm just really glad we were able to grow it to this point. And I've had the support here. I've had to grow it to this point and I have had that support here. And I can't thank my bosses here enough for that. Um, I think that, you know, when I, when I got here, I saw that the previous data reporter um, had built this app and sort of the infrastructure was here, you know, but I couldn't understand why we had this great infrastructure, but only 40 agencies in it. And so um, I always had this vision to really grow it and make it bigger and a better resource for our audience. And so I'm I'm glad that, that we are there.
0: What is the feedback that you get? You mentioned people suggest agencies, but what other feedback do you get from it? Hopefully it's good feedback.
2: Yeah, it is mostly good feedback. Um, So, one thing I'll say that I love hearing, and like people, please share this with me. Not everything is going to turn into a story, right? And you can stay anonymous if you want. But people have shared with me that they have used this database to argue for raises. You know, in the private sector, they've noticed that people who are doing the same job in the public sector are being paid better and use that to argue for a raise. I've heard of people using it to argue for like, equity raises as far as, you know, men noticing that, I'm sorry, women noticing that men are making more, doing the same job, um, or, you know, uh, similar issues with people who are people of color in workplaces um, and noticing that uh, their white co-workers are making more than them. I've had people share with me that this database has helped them get a raise and, you know, basically do better for themselves, which I think is incredible. Um, and that's honestly something I didn't even expect to be a use for it or I never right. thought of and right. so hearing that was just really fulfilling and satisfying um, so that was really cool other feedback I get from it is a lot of just like wow I can't believe this person makes this much I can't believe this I can't believe that and I'm like well that's what it's there for you know is to inform you and Hopefully, not shock you too much, but um, you know, if people are shocked by it, I hope they contact their public officials. I hope they, you know, make sure they're registered to vote, all that civic engagement stuff. I think this database really helps with civic engagement. That's what I want it to do. Um, And that is a lot of the feedback I get is just that people want to be a little bit more engaged or want to know more about their government after seeing it. The other piece of feedback I get is. why do you guys publish this? You know, it's not anyone's business what people make. And salary is a really touchy subject. Yeah. yeah. And I get it. I really do. And like, you know, people will say, like, I understand why you want to publish the mayor's salary or elected officials' salaries. But why do you want to publish, you know, the guy who's emptying my trash can? Why? Do- why does his salary or her salary have to be published? And it's like, well... I think that we want to make sure that those people are being compensated fairly, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that we have all of it out there. Because if you don't have the full picture, it's like compared to what, you know? So if you see your mayor is making, let's say, let's say someone's mayor came out making a million dollars. That's not in there. <laughs> but let's say that happened, right? Well, if you didn't have the rest of the city's payroll or the city's budget or whatever else, how are you going to compare that to anything? I mean, a million dollars is clearly outrageous for for a mayor to make. But, um, my point is you have to have things to compare it to. And, um, you know, if say the mayor was making a million dollars and they were paying all their, you know, refuse workers, $2 million, like, well, that's a great story. And that's something we'd never see. Um, you know, so like that kind of stuff, um, is what we're interested in seeing is making sure that people are compensated fairly across the board. Um, and I think that this, that's what this database does is it kind of sets that baseline and it is that baseline of, again, like I said before, basic information about people's government agencies. Um, and I think, you know, if I may get a little serious for a second, we are kind of in a spot right now where people may, there may be, you know, a section of people out there who think that it's not fair for journalists to be able to go after salary information and publish it on the internet. But, you know, what's the alternative? Um, not having a free press and us us journalists not being able to ask that question, and you as people not being able to ask that question, um, you know, I, I think we'd prefer that we can ask for that stuff and publish it. So
1: yeah, I totally agree. I think that there's also, and I'm sorry if I'm misspeaking here, but to me it seems a little bit generational, uh, you know, this belief that we should or shouldn't discuss salary. I totally think that the transparency to know what your coworkers make, to your point, is what can give people the leverage they need uh, to to have parity at work. Uh, it's insane to think that you know a, a male coworker who does the exact job as you and has been there for about the same time or less possibly can make more. And I, I don't see how a company could argue that having that information hurts anyone, but maybe their bottom line. Uh, so, and, and also to your point, creating, you know, uh, pointing out the inequities between say what a superintendent makes and what a teacher makes.
2: Exactly. Yes, exactly that. Um, and I know people have contacted me about exactly that kind of disparity in their school districts, you know, and said, I'm really glad you published this so that we could see it and we could, you know, tell our board how we feel about it. Um, so yeah, and I agree it is very generational and I'm not quite sure what America's going through right now, but like <laughs> we got to just support our press. Okay. That's all I know
1: yeah and support each other i mean i think that's where salary transparency you know it benefits uh laborers workers maybe it doesn't always benefit management but um as someone who's not a member of management i'm not really interested in whether it benefits them it benefits everyone else
0: what an appropriate discussion for labor day week
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah can you tell
1: we're in a union
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's actually what i was going to mention next one last thing on this is that a lot of people will say you know well if you're going to publish everyone else's salary why don't you publish your salary And, you know, to that, I will say we work for a privately held company. So the lines are drawn there. Okay. And also you should know that we are a unionized shop here at the post dispatch. So we generally know what each other makes and we do have decent pay equity here. Um, And so I just want to put that out there that we, um, yeah, we're a union shop. We have, you know, a schedule and all that. So um, it's not like we're just operating completely in the dark over here either.
1: And when we talk about being a union shop, being a union newsroom, uh, you know that is also a, something in our industry, in our space, that is becoming less and less common, as it is in many industries, to have that kind of support. Um, so I do think that it's worth discussion in this larger
0: conversation about salaries and equity and compensation. Journalism recently, actually, newsrooms, not to be like, no, you're wrong, but... Uh, newsrooms have been unionizing at a pretty fast rate recently anyway. And I think a lot of that is a reaction to Mm -hmm. the issues in journalism that we're seeing right now with layoffs and job protection is one of. Sure, I should say
1: nationally. Nationally, I think you you tend to see more of a movement uh, and a movement that is less easily squashed than you do at locals or, you know, or regionals.
0: And it's always, you know, talking about your salary with your coworkers is super uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable, but it's such an important conversation to have to understand where you fit into the broader office that you work in and to make sure that, you know, to look out for your coworkers as well, make sure that they're being compensated as they should be, as you should be compensated as you should be. Yeah.
1: Well, and it it feels, you know, it's intrinsic to everything, especially right now when we have inflation higher than it's ever been. Cost of living is so expensive in this country. Homeownership has become harder and farther away for a lot of people than it's ever been. Um, All of that comes back to how we're compensated, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the people who help do the work that supports organizations deserve to be paid in a way where they can afford those things and afford a cost of living, uh if not commiserate with management at least
0: um you know again such that you can have a life outside of your work (laughs) do you know one of the things that journalists often laugh at is that they're really bad at math um so that's me i'll just raise my hand and say i use my calculator for very basic math frequently i love pivot tables it, Janelle didn't teach me how to do pivot tables, I don't think, but she helped me master them, and they're the, they're the best.
2: I also love pivot tables. I'll just tell you guys like, also, for anyone who's scared of data or numbers or spreadsheets, Microsoft Excel, Google Sheets, whatever tool you use, if you're scared of them, um, I have known some award winning data journalists who have only used in those award winning stories like a handful of Excel formulas or, yeah, a pivot table. Um, a pivot table is just like a really It's a tool that's in Excel that is a really easy and, once you get the hang of it, really easy um, way to like summarize data and sort of bring conclusions out of it, if you will. Um, I can pull averages, medians,
0: uh, I can count various things with two clicks of a mouse instead of like literally
2: counting yeah. them. yeah you can easily separate stuff into like months of a year you know like that's often what we'll do when i'm what i'll do when we're looking at homicide data for end of year stories and stuff right is looking at which months had the most and pivot tables make stuff like that super easy as long as your data is structured correctly in the first place um so that's always uh the fun about getting government data is like usually have to clean it up quite a bit before I can do anything fun if, if you will with it um but yeah when I hear journalists talk about like being scared of numbers or being bad at math I mean it's funny because math was like not my top subject growing up right like I was in the advanced math classes in junior high and high school but I was like just barely in there was how I felt like I was just like trying to keep my head above water, you know? And all the other kids are, like, flying by, just getting A's, 99s on their tests or whatever, and I'm just, like, back here getting an 80 on my test, like, <laughs> staying after class. So um, it's well, also on also me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right? Hold on one second, because I have to explain two things. When Janelle talked about barely keeping her head above water, she, like, literally did, <laughs> like, a hand motion with her head, like, I'm barely above water. And also an 80% on a test, on a math test, um, wow, that's a great, great.
1: Yeah, Janelle, I would take that home and put it on the fridge. I'd be like, look what I got in math today. And my parents would be like, we've set the bar in the basement. Like, um, yeah. Sounds pretty good to me.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'm sorry. my dad was an accountant, right? So like being an accountant's daughter, I was like, I should be good at this. And my brother was incredible at math. like, It was so easy for him. And it was just like breezed right through it. Now, me being me now, 32 years old, knowing what I know about, like, society and sexism in the world, I'm like, I probably just thought that. I probably was doing just fine, you know? Um, but uh, I think that's funny, considering that history, where I'm at now, Um and I'll say to you that, like, I tell you that because, first of all, anybody can learn anything they want to if you really put your mind to it. I know that sounds trite and people say it all the time, but it's true. And I spent—I did spend a lot of time after school with my, you know, high school algebra teacher, learning about how, figuring out how it all worked and, and making sure I really, truly understood it. And also, I, I tell you all this because spreadsheets and calculators and all these tools we have now to do the math for us, that's what they're there for, right? Is they're there to, like, make it easy on us. If you know what math you want to do, Like, the important thing is that you understand the analysis that you're doing. Um, and so my recommendation with data and especially like if other journalists are listening and they want to get into data analysis themselves, citizens too, if you want to get into data analysis yourself, um, I would just recommend that you just start playing around in a spreadsheet program and get comfortable with it first. I would also recommend that like you're, if you're going to go out, embark on a data analysis yourself, consult experts. Like, there, if, if you ever see an analysis we've done in the paper, it's never been done without an expert on that topic, me and me or me and Josh consulting with experts on that, those topics about the analysis and how exactly we're doing it, the numbers we're getting out of it. Hey, do these conclusions make sense? Are we making sense right now, you know, or do we sound like we're coming out of left field? Um, so I would say, if you're new to it, always make sure you have some guidance. I still do that, and I've been doing this for five years here now. Um, eight years in the field altogether. So just make sure you always have some guidance on it, an expert, um, and just try to not be afraid and go crazy with Google. Like it's your best friend. Google things like common Microsoft Excel formulas or Google Sheets for beginner beginners or Microsoft Excel for beginners. You know stuff like that. You can find tons of free training online. Um, that will get you started. And then once you get started and you get familiar with it, it's a lot less scary and it's a lot easier to like get in there and play around and have fun and experiment. Um, and for journalists, my last tip would be to join investigative reporters and editors. Sorry, shameless plug for them, but I've been a member <laughs> since I was in college. I definitely wouldn't be the data reporter I am now without all the guidance and mentorship that I've gotten through that organization. So um, they're based at Mizzou and have been around for decades, and their conferences are always an absolute blast. So I would recommend that you join and come to the conferences, and that is one of the best places to learn uh, data skills for sure.
1: That's fantastic. Well, Janelle, as you were speaking, I realized we really didn't get into your background at all before joining the post. It just makes me interested. You know, you said that math wasn't maybe your favorite subject in school, or the subject you thought that was going to, you know, maybe determine your future career. Obviously, it has. So. How did you get into this space where you're both, you know, doing the work of an investigative journalist because you are seeking out these records? You are, you know, putting out these requests um, and having to manage all of this huge amount of data um, that provides this excellent service for our readers. But you're doing it with math.
2: Yeah, um, I'm glad you asked that. It's a really interesting story. Um, So I majored in journalism and minored in informatics in college, which is like a fancy word for Data Sciences, Data Processing, Um, technically that degree came out of the Library and Information Sciences at the University of Illinois, which is actually one of the best Library and Information Sciences around. I mean, of course I'm going to say that because I went there, (laughs) but and I'm from Illinois, so like, holla. But um, also, um, I was talking to my advisor when I was deciding what to minor in, and I originally wanted to minor in business because I was pretty young at the time, I'll admit. And I thought, I just need to understand the business side of things, because I know that newspaper is like really going to go through it. Well, is really going through it right now. (laughs) This was like 2012, right? So I'm like, we're really going through it right now. I'm going to need a good business sense to navigate this and help newspaper move into the digital age seamlessly or more seamlessly than we are right now, right? Um, And I talked to my advisor about it. I actually had transferred into U of I from a community college where I did my first two years. And so he told me it's going to be really hard to get your major in journalism done and get everything you need for your portfolio, as well as do this business minor. You know, why do you want to do a business minor? I explained to him what I just explained to you guys. He said, I think one of the best ways you can help journalism in the future and moving into the future is by learning data. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And so I started looking into it. And the next thing I knew one of the previous executive directors of IRE investigative reporters and editors that organization I just mentioned had come to Illinois and he had just gotten a job as the night chair of investigative reporting there. His name is um, Brant Houston. And so he has a long history background in data reporting. And so it was just kind of like the fates like aligned, you know, and my advisor suggested it. I realized Brant was, had come from Mizzou to Illinois had a you know extensive history in data reporting and so I decided like let's try it let's pursue it and I started getting into it and started really falling in love with it I'm really kind of I've never been diagnosed but I'm a little bit obsessive compulsive about things um and so spreadsheets and like making sure things are like in their in their cells and organized the way that I want them to be is something (laughs) that I am like it's it it uh It scratches an itch for you. It does. Thank you. Yes, it very much scratches an itch for me. So I fell in love with that. And then, you know, at the same time, fell in love with like the public service aspect of journalism and kind of saw how I could see these two things fitting together um, and learned from other data journalists how they had been fitting those two things together. And, you know, I graduated college in 2014. So data journalism was sort of still in its infancy infancy at that time um, and has grown a lot since then. Um, And so my point here is, like, I kind of had to, you know, forge my own path in data journalism. Um, And it's not necessarily always been easy because people are like, what's a data journalist? Like, what do you do again? Who are you with the (laughs) post-dispatch? What do you do for them? All the time. Um, But I think that that advisor was right back then, that this is one way that can really help journalism, newspapers, our industry move forward um with you know the rest of the world if you will because governments are just producing more and more and more information in electronic format and like if we can't understand it as your journalists then how are we going to tell you about it and Mm -hmm. report on it right Mm -hmm. um and so that's why I originally pursued it um And I'm really glad that this job as actually a data reporter came open five years ago here at the Post-Dispatch because previously I was a beat reporter um, just covering like government stuff for a while. And then I covered business down in Bradenton, Florida for about three years before I came here. So I was really excited to get into a data-specific job where I could use those skills that I learned in college. Um, And yeah, I've just had a blast doing it here. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for asking about yeah. that. Yeah. I love that.
1: I mean, again, as someone who uh, didn't focus, have this focus in school and has never had this focus in my work, I just do find it fascinating. And I totally agree with your uh, professor that it has been this initially emerging uh, you know, role in newsrooms that really is exploding. Uh, and hopefully in the future, we'll see even more investment in that sector in newsrooms.
0: Thanks, Janelle, so much for coming in. We really appreciate it. And where can readers find the database?
2: Yes. Um, so again, thank you for having me here. Thank you all to who listened to this um, and who has gone to the database and navigated to it so far. Um, if you haven't been to it or you want to return to it again, you can go to stltoday.com pay. That's our shortcut. And um, happy browsing. And it's not behind the subscription paywall, but of course,
0: please subscribe to the paper.
1: Yeah. And then you can see even more of Janelle's amazing work. That is behind the paywall. (laughs) Sorry, as a
0: digital editor,
1: it's really our jobs to, you know, be pushing those digital subs.
2: Well, and also when you do subscribe. Yeah. And when you subscribe, it supports work like this, like the database. So if you want to see more work like the database, more searchable databases, then yes, please subscribe. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye.